Take a ride with us around the world's fastest quarter mile oval. Most of the cars on this track, same time, and though you said 10 ones around, how many miles per hour is that? 11, 11 seconds, 11 twos, threes are where they qualify. At the end of the straight, they're about 110. Slinger Speedway a famous Wisconsin racetrack that has been graced by the tire treads of many racing icons. On the top left is Bobby Allison, Daryl Waltrip. The next photo is uh, Dale Earnhardt, Mark Martin, Alan Kowicki, Davey Allison, and Bobby Allison. We've started something here with the Wall of Fame where we bring in local, we remember all the local drivers that are creating history here. Yeah. And that, he was my guy as a little kid coming yep. here. Yep. And just like sticking ball sports, everybody's got their favorite, and he was my guy. The racetrack benefits from the leadership of a long dedicated racing fanatic and a driver himself, Todd Thielen. Okay. I worked here since 05, raced here in the late 90s, was a fan as a little kid. Mm -hmm. Went to college, did other racing, came back here. One of the goals is to buy the property. Okay. This is the Right Idea Podcast. Welcome to season three of the Right Idea Podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, volunteer president and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. In this season, we're highlighting the creativity and work ethic behind the businesses that make Wisconsin's economy go round. Today, we're interviewing Todd Thielen, owner of Slinger Speedway in Slinger, Wisconsin, the world's fastest quarter mile oval. In today's episode with Todd, we dive into his lifelong passion for racing the history behind this legendary racetrack, and the story behind how Slinger Speedway adapted to survive the effects of COVID-19. Buckle up, it's gonna be a heck of a ride. This is the Right Idea Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the Right Idea Podcast. We are at the Slinger Speedway with Todd Thielen, and we're thrilled to be here at the World's fastest quarter mile asphalt oval. Did I get it right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate <laughs> well, it. We're thrilled that we're thrilled to be here. We just did a walk around the track and got a uh, just we got to see it. And I, I made the analogy, maybe I'm wrong, but it's kinda like Wrigley Field. You are right on top of the action here. Talk a bit of it just about the history of the track. It started in the forties and, and how you got involved and, and got to where you are today. Well history well it started in the forties and Race dirt track. It was dirt race track until um, nineteen seventy four. Okay, I'll back up a little further. In the in the forties, it was just a it was a testing area. A couple okay, of local racers wanted to test here, and then a few more racers came out, and a few more racers came out. And next thing you know, Slinger Speedway was born. Gotcha. And nineteen seventy four, the asphalt configuration was built. Okay. It's, it's a high-banked asphalt racetrack, very, very unique. There's nothing like it in the country, um, and that's where its namesake, the world's fastest quarter-mile asphalt oval, comes in because it's it's banked almost like Bristol or Daytona. Okay, but it's a quarter mile, right? And uh, it features two wide racing, which is very, very uh, entertaining. Right, and um, it, it's created a, a lot of history. I started coming here in the late '70s as a as a young kid and mm -hmm. had my favorites. And I sat in the grandstands <laughs> and with my buddies. And I thought, you know, 
wouldn't it be cool someday to, to race here mm-hmm. against some of these guys? That would be that'd be cool. But back in the day, there wasn't as many opportunities to get into race cars like there are now. Okay, we have four cylinder divisions. Um, there's Legends cars. There's Bandolero cars for kids um, that race at this racetrack. Right. At my age, I could have gone go kart racing. I couldn't afford it. Right. I came from regular middle class family. Where was home for you? Where? Right in this area. Born where? and raised in Oconomowoc. In Oconomowoc. Okay. I'm a homer. I'm still gotcha. there. <laughs> I lived in Oshkosh for a few years at our lake property. Okay. But um, other than that, I've been in Oconomowoc. Gotcha. So, 70s as a kid, came here, enjoyed it, dreamed of racing here someday. <laughs> Got out of high school, um, didn't go right to college. Youngest of five, and decided I'm going to work a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, went to college after five years. Had saved enough money to also get into racing at the same time. Okay. Bought a go kart. Going to school? A- absolutely. Bought okay. a go kart to to race competitively, and uh, did that for five years. Graduated from Oshkosh with a uh, business bachelor's in business administration, mm-hmm. and. Um, Proud to say, I only owed five thousand dollars, which was pretty. I cool. think it's pretty good. <laughs> and I raced through the whole time, and I I worked on pit crews, learned a lot. Uh, was that here that you were working no. at Slinger or no? Oh, this no. is elsewhere. Elsewhere. Okay. Dirt track racing. Believe okay. Or not. Okay. And um, asphalt asphalt road racing with the with the go kart. Okay. And I was very successful in the go kart. Did well. Race did some national racing with that too. But. College decided to go a little bit different direction, and I actually got opportunities to get in. People put me in the race cars on the dirt side, okay. and raced on the dirt side for five years in the early nineties. Okay. USAC and and Badger, and did some traveling with that. Did some TV races. ESPN used to have Thursday Night Thunder, which was mm-hmm. live TV. It was pretty cool. Right. And one day, a buddy of mine said, "Hey, how about we get uh, asphalt car together?" The dirt racing I was doing was pretty dangerous, midget racing. I had a couple of friends die, and a couple of other friends got hurt pretty bad. Right. Safety equipment wasn't as good in the 90s as, as it is now. Mm-hmm. And um, got an opportunity to get in the car for one of the – Conrad Morgan, one of the – he's a seven-time track champion. Okay. Um, and teamed up with him. And as a rookie, came out here in really good equipment in the Premier Division. So that dream – was starting to be realized. Right. And I'm living the dream now, as they right. say. A lot of people say that, <laughs> but I, I truly did it. So I got to that point, raced here for, started here in 97, did that till full-time through 01, and um, part-time in 02, got to know the track owner really well. Mm-hmm. I'm the easygoing guy that didn't come pissing and moaning and complaining about things. We <laughs> talk about hunting and fishing. Right. So I get good relationship. And uh, for two years, I, I bought a different home. We started having a family. I was married in the 90s, and and uh, I parked the race car. Decided, okay. well, we'll see what happens with this. I, I put a guy in it for the Nationals one year. and um, Put a driver in your car put, that you yes, own. Yes, uh, a NASCAR right. driver, yeah. Scott Wimmer at the time. Okay. Put, put him in the car and raced the Nationals one year. I got in one of Conrad Morgan's car the next year, just for a little bit. That was 04. And at the time, I was uh, vice president of a manufacturing company and was transitioning to what do I want to do the next 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. 
and an opportunity came up in 05 to work here. And I took my suit and tie off. Yeah. I was the guy that came walked in the back pits here with my suit and tie, <laughs> or even the dirt tracks, you know, because I came from work. Came from work, right, right. And yeah. Um, yeah. The, I was the professional guy that was in, you know, rubbing elbows with a lot of the uh, weekend warriors. Right. And I, I went um, from racing to now working in the industry. I was hired here in 05. What, were you, what was the entry point? What were you doing? Um, sales and marketing. Okay. Basically, a small company, like I was the liaison to the owner. Yeah. And took that role and did really well, sold everything, sponsorships, and started working on the other side of the fence with driver rules and all that stuff and got to learn the business. Okay. And with, when I interviewed with the, with the owner, I, the goal was someday to take over the business in mm-hmm. a management role and own it. Okay. So again, the goals and the dream keeps going, and right. the ultimate goal was to, or dream was to make a living in the auto racing, something I loved. Mm-hmm. And I try to teach kids and tell my kids that when you when you work in something you enjoy, it's not work. Right. It just it, it's the benefits. Like, you do something you love and you get paid. Right. Right. Absolutely. So. Right. In uh, 2012, the the who's now the property owner came up to me and said, "This is a quote. These guys don't want to listen to ordinary old man anymore. <laughs> These guys mean the drivers. Drivers. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's what he said. <laughs> the drivers were tired of listening to old school style management. Yeah, you know, and uh, they didn't want to be dictated to anymore. And he knew it. It was yeah. time. So we worked out a lease deal, and his son came in with me. Okay. And um, we did that for six, seven years, from 13 until 18. And I bought him out, my partner out in 18, and took it over in 19. And now, hopefully, close on the property this next uh, next couple of weeks. Gotcha. So that's that's a long history, but it's that it's where we started. It tells and you what we're it, still what here. Gets us here. I have some questions on like the uh, the purchase of the property and some things you shared earlier. Before we do that. The mentality of someone that decides they want to be a race car driver. Talk about that, because I mean, look, I, I was a, a Marine Corps officer, right? Like people, I say are a little bit different, and I think it's true. You decide you want to join the, not just the military but the Marines. You're a little bit different if you decide I want to drive a race car. What is it? The true thrill and excitement? Is it the danger element? What drew you to it? The adrenaline of speed. Mm-hmm. And I grew up. Um, Enjoying, I grew up on Okachi Lake. We were boating and skiing, and, and there's speed with that. And back in the day, you wanted to be a fireman, you mm-hmm. wanted to be in the military, right. you wanted right. to be a doctor, a lawyer, right. a race car driver, right. a football player. What? Right. And race car driver was a thing. And right. I just I enjoyed the speed, I enjoyed the competition, and the, that thrill of victory. Right. And it's... Uh, the adrenaline becomes an addiction almost. Right. It really does. I, I think I'm an avid duck hunter as well. Okay. Waterfowler. And I think that passion is just as strong as the racing passion, and I still do that. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't understand that. How, why, why do you want to go out and kill that beautiful <laughs> bird? Well, the PC where these days we're harvesting. Right. And we eat everything that we harvest, and... It's uh, it's very enjoyable, right? 
and it's also a, part of the way the world works, right? It's <laughs> part of how things too. work, right? Exactly. It's part of, and I think that a lot of racers are entrepreneurs. Okay. Just by definition, if you own your own race team, you own a business. It's a little, yeah, it's a PNL. Everybody it's a here gets a 1099. Right. They are business owners, whether they understand that or not. Right. And um, I'm entrepreneurial as well. Right. And most of our, the top division teams here, even even the support divisions, own businesses. There, right. there are a lot of entrepreneurial people here. And, and that's one of the driving forces, I think, with racers, too. They want to do their own thing. Yeah. And I think I'll generalize with this. I think most racers are conservative just by that they they want to do their thing and they don't want anybody else to tell them what to do. Right. They're risk takers. You're a risk taker. And on the track, you're certainly taking literal physical and life risk. There's no two ways about it. But to your point, at the same time, you are running your own business. Absolutely. As a race car driver, you've got a P&L. You're producing... Ideally, you're producing profit in order to make the mm-hmm. whole thing keep going. And in your case, you just transitioned what part of the industry you were in, but you leave actually right. driving the car and you come to the track. And once again, like you said, you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to make this whole thing stay right side up. Absolutely. You have employees, you yeah. have your team, your crew guys, right. or your, your staff. It's uh, Every person here is a business owner. Right. And, and some are better than others, just sure. like the real world. Some right. fail, some some quit. Right. Um, the response is more immediate, maybe, than right. some other industries. Where right. You find out right away if you're going to make it or not. <laughs> I like to say, you earn things. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple words in the dictionary that I really don't like. And one is that you deserve something, <laughs> and the other one is that you can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> And you hear that in government all the time. Yes, you do. I don't deserve a damn thing other than um, my spiritual beliefs. I think I do deserve that. I've earned a lot in my life, and I've right. come from next to nothing. Well, yeah, and you're talking about the opportunity to go right. and earn something. Right? right. And I think that's the beauty of our country, right, is that, yes, no, no outcome is defined, despite mm-hmm. what we might be hearing from the political left right now. Like, no outcome is defined and guaranteed or, or promised to you, but... Right. You should have these opportunities to do these, any number of amazing things. Or you know what? If you want to do boring stuff, that's okay too. Right. Go do it. But but yes, don't expect that someone's going to hand you the outcome. Go out and earn that outcome. Right. And I I, um, I come from more of a middle class, blue collar type family. Mm-hmm. But I'm led to believe that I'm entitled, or not entitled, I'm um, privileged. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Everything I have, I've earned. I, I, um, I, I, I told you I, I graduated college and only owed five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. I didn't work during the school year. I worked in the summer okay. and I saved money before I went to college. I didn't work during the school year where right. a lot of my friends that were, they were pretty well off. Their parents made them work. And rightfully so. And you, well, the thing, the thing, this whole idea of. Trying to label people privileged by their the color of their skin is so antithetical to the concept of America. I can only imagine that if Martin Luther King were to see this today, right. to understand how off the rails this thing has gone, right. the idea of this country is you can come here with literally nothing, and if you choose, and if you make good choices and you work hard, you're going to have the opportunity to improve your circumstance. Yeah, some people are going to start out in a better situation. That's life. It's always right. been the way. But this is the place that you can make that ground up faster 
and you can do better things if you choose yeah. to going forward. The, the people that are pushing these narratives are trying to separate us. They're trying to, in every shape or form, eliminate common humanity and trying to do what they can to harm relationships between people. That is the goal of the political left. There's, there is no two ways about it. And that feeling that so many people in our society have that you're describing right now, that's yeah. their objective. And once you feel alienated from other people, the left has more political power. There's no two ways I, we, about it. We had more folks out here last summer than I think ever. I think part of it's because we had one, one of the few places where there's you could do something. You could be outside, you could yeah. be having fun. And, yeah, and I went out of my way right. to try to thank mm-hmm. those folks. Are, are you, you know, thank you for coming and was everything good and did you enjoy yourself? And, you know, it was... One of the one of the things this last summer that was um, made me, I don't know, felt good was that people thanked me for providing a place for them to go do something. Right. It was quite amazing, and some people had tears in their eyes because they were so happy to go do things, go be out, be outside, having and have some entertainment life. life. Well, I, I, we talked about it earlier, and, and again, you are, I mean, just to repeat it, this is an outdoor facility. Mm-hmm. There is no point at which any reasonable person was saying that you can't be outside and, and socializing and, right. and being uh, involved in activities. Um, but no, it is so important that venues like yours did continue in press sure. on so that people had mental escape from, frankly, the, the punishment that was laid down upon them by Absolutely. so many avenues of government. I want to well, go ahead. We, we learned things from COVID as well, right. which are, are good for the business and we'll implement down the road. Like we did, we were hands free coming in here. Mm-hmm. Electronic, um, uh, we call the contractors, the race teams, they mm-hmm. came in electronically through payment and through registration. The fans came in that way. Right. We got rid of change. Um, if you paid with cash, right. change money, right. change right. money. If you right. paid with cash, it right. was bill money only. There was no change. Right. Um, we have credit card systems on the, on the facility. We developed an app where you could sit in the grandstands and order your food. Okay. And a big business, it's normal. Sure. But we're just a little small right. business here. Right. And we developed it. Uh, nephew works at IBM, and he had somebody whip an app up, and you could order from the grandstands. Okay. Pay right there on your phone and go pick it up. And pick it up. And uh, so we did things that COVID was tough, mm-hmm. but it was... There's things. There's some positives that came out of it. There's no doubt about it. That right. made us do things that we normally wouldn't have done. Of course. Let and, me, I want to ask some questions about some things you brought before. Which it, it's not directly the same, but it's interconnected. You talked about the the loan. You're, you're in the process of taking out a loan. Sure. And that's in order to purchase to complete the purchase of this facility of mm-hmm. Slinger Speedway. Um, talk to me about what you've encountered as you've gone through that process. So, I'll start from a year ago, mm-hmm. where. I got financed. Financing was approved through local bank, and um, it was literally a week within the COVID shutdown. So we're literally shut down, mm-hmm. and the governor has us shut down. He's going to try to shut us down as long as he can. It's going through Memorial Day for sure. We thought so. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, which is a disaster for your city. It's a disaster right. for the business. Right. And I'm going to. I have financing now is approved through the yeah. first part of this is through the bank. And um, so we put the brakes on in June. We get operated. We, we say, okay, let's 
breathe here a little bit and then collect our thoughts and right. start we started the process over again towards the end of summer and got going pretty well in the fall and by December pretty much everything was in line okay and the WBD um, was was approved in sometime in December early January somewhere around there I believe it was late December mm-hmm. and so then I didn't know the process. I didn't know the hierarchy, I should say. I didn't know that the WBD was just the state side of the SBA. Okay. How, those are my words. I don't know if that's even right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so the SBA is the federal approval. Okay. I thought, well, once the state approved it, we're good. Oh, no, right. it's got to go to D.C. or okay. wherever the SBA is. And um, that has been now over three months of of painful financial um, holding because I, I have carrying costs. I, have, I still have to lease the property every right. month. So every month that I lease the property, money is not going towards either the down payment or towards equity of, of owning the property. Right. And the property owner who thinks I'm dragging my feet, why aren't you doing this? I, I don't believe that they're, they're taking this long. To come to find out that the SBA is busy giving money away which is part of the PPP. Mm-hmm. It's how it works. I get that. But I want to borrow money. Why wouldn't the people that need to borrow money right. to to buy a business that they're going to give back have any type of priority? Yeah. I, I, I'm torn. I see a lot of restaurants. I see a lot of businesses that are really struggling and they need it. But I also know of a lot of businesses that didn't need it and they're getting it. And how do you differentiate those? That's not my job. I just it's it's troubling to me that I had to wait an extended period of time. It should have been two to four weeks. It took three. It's over three months. Right. Well, and there's another dimension to this too that that basically many of those businesses that were put in harm's way, include include your own, right? There the public health benefit of doing that right. was likely countermanded by the damage that was done economically right. and also to mental health and also physical health and. That, I think that's a bit of the craziness and why I wanted to highlight this story because it really it really is jarring. It basically, you're trying to take out a loan, a loan you're going to repay with interest, and to do it in order to buy a property that has that creates wealth. And I think this is be very evident to you by say it on our podcast because the goal is to share these ideas. It's businesses can start from nothing from an idea and mm-hmm. through adding value create wealth, and that wealth is what pays salaries and. The beauty of that is it's it's the creative process that America right. allows people to engage in. And what I think the political left has lost all sight of, if they ever had sight of it, is that a government check will never, ever, ever outpace the creation of wealth. The creation of wealth is key to the betterment of society. And that's that's the idea behind take a loan. That's why these programs exist. Right. Get the business going. And that's a virtuous cycle. You're going to pay taxes and you talked earlier, your economic and your annual economic impact. I know there's a study done of the Slinger Speedway. Mm-hmm. What is that impact on your community? It, it's just over a million dollars a year, one point right. two million dollars a year. Right. From something that started as guys playing in the playing backyard. in the yeah exactly driving cars and racing and that, right. that's beautiful right like that's that's that, how this country's supposed to work exactly. It's the creation of, of value that people are willing to say, I'll put my hard money down, my hard-earned mm-hmm. money down because I want to see it. It's something fun for me and my family to do to get away from life. And that creates value and that pays salaries. And then those people go out and do good things right. with the money that they earned. And 
boy, it, you never thought you'd have to like be so literal in explaining that. But if we don't explain it, my concern is there's a whole generation of people that aren't even being taught these things, these concepts in the schools that they're in right now. We aren't even in school right when now. That, that is the issue. I was on a, I'm a, I'm president of a board of a, 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 our lake property is Russia Lake Restoration. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a board meeting Tuesday night. And the DNR person and uh, um, another person, a liaison that, that get, does granting, for, mm-hmm. and we all work together, they're on the call in. It's so hard to communicate when you can't see the people. And that's how these kids are trying to learn. Right. So I'm experiencing this as an adult. And you're trying to talk to somebody. You're looking at a. You can look at the screen, or you can look at you know, look at the microphone, whatever. Right. Right. It's just not the same. No, it's not. It's not the same as in-person learning. And right. And um, it, it it all is it, it it all is becoming unwound right now. Yeah. Right in front of our eyes, and and fear is driving a lot of it, and that that's why it's accepted. Yeah. It's fear. I think that's one of the, the most stark um, learnings that I, I know I personally have had is that if you suspend reality for people and really put them in a precarious situation relative to their job, to you know what they can physically do with their time, you can then, through, through, through that act, you can then suspend disbelief in different ways. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the most free, prosperous, and wonderful country in the history of humanity that is granted and fought for freedom for more people in the history of, well, frankly, in human history has done more to free people than any other Mm human-made institution, suddenly you can convince people that, in fact, it's an agent of evil. And that's disappointing. Uh, The only way I know to fight that is to tell the truth, which is why we're sitting down having conversations like this and sharing it with tens of thousands of people at a time to say, no, this is reality. The reality is this is a country where you can come start a racetrack and you can make a living from it because other people see value in it, want right. to be a part of it. And that's, and you don't have to be any color of skin, you don't have to be any no. ethnic background, any specific religion, you can just do that here. And everybody, if they take a step back, will realize that's the darn truth. And right. the leftists that are pushing these other um, agendas, they're doing it so they can gain power and they can gain money. That's their goal. And we should all call it out for what it is. So, well, that's the problem. The platforms are controlled by the left, and so this is one media that can medium that can get out. Right. But we absolutely are going to be censored. <laughs> Not on this podcast. Well, <laughs> but I know I understand your point. I if, know if I if this goes out on, let's just say. I share it on my YouTube page, mm-hmm. and I tweet it, mm-hmm. and someone's like, "Did you hear what they said?" <laughs> I'm, well, what happened to freedom of speech? It's a real issue, and it's um, you know one of the frustrations I have with, uh, with frankly, the entire political class, but many conservatives too, is that we let it get right. to this point. Yes. Our, you can really see coming from ten miles away, our public square was shifting into mm-hmm. so many forms of digital communication. And there were, there were sensible steps that could have been made. Um, and I know that the idea is coming up now, but basically these need to be treated like utilities. And, and that's where we're at. Um, if, if they are going to act as a public square, right. then, then we're going to have to put barriers on them as such. And 
probably for them long term that means the destruction of, of billions of dollars worth of wealth in their end. But that was frankly the decision that they made uh, to put themselves in that situation. So people on my end, I'll just speak for myself as a business owner. I know I was always the older I got, the more I understood politics mm-hmm. and how everything worked. But in the last year. I've learned more because I had to, to advocate for my business. Right. Um, not Which is working. not what you want, right? Like you and, want to be out well, figuring out the market. Not some people to like to politics. go rub elbows with the politicians. <laughs> I had um, assemblyman, assemblyperson Gundram out here, and he advocated big time for us. He's a great guy, and he's he's, a good he's one of the guys that um, his staffers crossed over and talked to staffers on the other side of the aisle and really got things mm-hmm. done. Right. And it, during a difficult time. Right. Um, we were the first racetrack to open last year for anything because we were non-essential. Yeah. Um, I could have people, I could have construction crews come on the property here and work because they were essential. But I couldn't have... Put fans in the seats. Right? No, no, I'm just talking about Using because we rent the facility mm. for race teams okay. to practice, which is for them practicing is part of it, um, getting their getting their team ready to operate. They're they're contractors. It's, sure, it's no different than any other business. They've got to get things lined up to, so they can compete. Right, their, their business is is competing. Right, and we got that done. We got opened up. We were allowed. We weren't deemed essential, but we were allowed to operate with X amount of people on the grounds, mm-hmm. including our own staff. So I wasn't even here, okay. but I have to have somebody here for insurance and for, for conditional use permit right. to observe and sign people in. And um, so I had my, our maintenance guy was here, and he uh, signed the teams in. And But any other track in the state that had cars on it for practice in that capacity... Um, to generate revenue because it's yep. a re- it's a revenue generator in April for us because we typically don't start till beginning of May or end of April. Okay. Um, nobody else could operate, but we pulled the strings through uh, um, Mr. Gundrum and that really helped. And right. and the, the local um, Margaret Wilbert helped out quite a bit, and Josh Shulman was really good as well. Okay. Um, he he was as helpful as it as it as it could be. And uh, it was an interesting call this last spring when it, when the news was coming out that Washington County was opening up. Maybe it was winter, I, but um, I called him and I said, how does this work? How does it work for a business? Right. I said, Todd, mm-hmm. we're not going to govern <clears throat> your business anymore. You're going to run the business how you see fit. If you right. want to follow CDC guidelines, follow <clears throat> the guidelines. Do what you think is right for your business. And we had those discussions last summer as well. Sure. But he said... What I, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, he said, Todd, everybody's waiting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're standing at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. It's time. Right. And it's, it's again, it's take common sense measures, right. especially if you uh, have issues that, that would be described as uh, comorbidity problems. Like, do the things to keep yourself safe. Like, right. common sense things. You mentioned that you've got hand sanitizer, wash your hands. All these things are very sensible and they're, they're, con- they're smart. But we should always remember again, this is an outdoor racetrack. Right. right. We're but even about our staff for the concession cars. stands, we had uh, heat sense, check the temperature, sure. 
Um, they had to fill out forms every week that said they weren't around somebody that was sick as that far as they sick, knew. Right. And just right. due diligence right, to protect the people because that's what we're supposed to do because the government yeah. said we're supposed to do that. Anybody that came in these hospitality areas, they were groups within themselves. Okay. So 30 different people couldn't come in here who didn't know each other. Sure. This a company would rent this, and that company would, um, they're responsible for their people. Or um, a birthday party or an anniversary, whatever, would be up here, and right. they're all their own people. So um, I don't think the governor liked that because he still wanted that not to happen. Mm -hmm. But in this county, it was okay because they were we were holding those people responsible for their actions, and they weren't a dispersed just group. Right. Anybody who was at large came in here with, you know, the thousands of people that came in here, they right. sat separately. If they didn't want to be by somebody, there's plenty of room to go sit somewhere else because we're at 25%. Right. Right. So we did, we did what we thought were the right things to do. Right. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit. I wanted to ask, what are some of your favorite memories at the track over the years? And, I mean, tell us about, you know, what happened, the names involved, because there's been a lot of big names through years we talked about and a lot of legends. What stands out in your mind as you think about some of the best things you've seen? Just as a, a, a little kid coming here and the excitement mm -hmm. and the anticipation. We talked about earlier about how, you know, what drives someone to become a race car driver. I couldn't wait till Sunday. Mm -hmm. Sunday morning. If it was raining Sunday morning, I'd be like, oh, boy, they <laughs> went at race tonight. And right. that excitement of coming here as a little kid. You don't see that so much anymore. It's kind of sad. Um, parents are more worried about getting their kid to the soccer field mm. or select sports is just unbelievable mm. um, how that dictates things. But that that is the biggest thing as a little kid. And then my guys, Alan Kowicki was my guy, mm -hmm. and knowing everybody. And back, this is dating myself, but there's newspapers. And reading the newspaper about Alan raced up at Kakan or Alan Kowicki was somewhere else. And, right. And that was a big thing with was Alan Kowicki. And then when the Nationals started happening, how cool it was to see these other drivers come in from different parts of the state. Right. And then the country. You know, when the Allisons and, and the Earnhardts and mm -hmm. the Waltrips and those, the, the Bush brothers, those guys come in. Right. Um, as a racer, racing against those guys. I remember walking up to Kenny Schrader and going... Mm -hmm. Well, you know how cool it is raced against you? And he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, it was cool. Right. And now Kenny Schrader's going to be back here testing an SRX car with okay. Kenny Wallace mm -mm. Um, before the SRX guys come in. Um, but as a, as a racer, it was just, it was surreal to come and do this and live that dream and race against those guys that you sat in the grandstands. Right, watching. It's like, it's like going to Lambeau Field and watching uh, the Packers play and then... Five years later, you're playing. Right, right. And that—that that is another thing I, I like to say. This is this is the Lambeau Field of short track racing. Mm -hmm. The history that's here. Um, but as a as me personally, um, the memories are great as a kid, and then to come full circle and give back a little bit too. Right. I really enjoy when I can help out and give back. It really means a lot. Um, 
there's like right now we have one of our, our marketing managers, she happens to be a teacher as well, and she's seasonal, she's, it works good for her because she's right. off in the summer, and we have kids coming over from DECA or from um, different uh, sporting teams, mm-hmm. and I pay them, I, I it's a donation back to the school, and they do cleanup. Okay. Rake leaves, do whatever. And uh, it's one of the ways of giving back. We give to charities. We do little things like that. Our pit concession stand is run by a local church group. Okay. So it's a direct donation back to the church. Um, that means a lot these days to give back. And it, I, I don't think that, I don't think the people in the left think that people in the right think that way. That you're part of a community. It's a virtuous cycle. Right. That people are benefiting and working together. And right, right. Exactly. I'm not that greedy guy that's just take, 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 take. Right. There's a lot. There's that crosses aisles. There's both. Both. There's a lot of business people out there that are that way. Sure. But there's also a lot of, a lot of people that like to give back. Right. And, and we do it accordingly. I, I, I wish I could do more, but we do what we can do. Well, you talk, and, and you just mentioned a number of partnerships and just the way that this place fits into the community and fits into people's lives, the million-plus dollars in economic impact. You talked uh, during our tour about the partnership you have and, and just good relationship with Little Switzerland, the ski slope, which is right mm-hmm. next door. and sounds like shared parking lots, depending on seasons. Right. And, um, but really is. This is, again, it's, it's, a, it's a part of the driving part of the economy of the area and it creates a number of relationships and virtuous cycles and it helps people it's a good mm-hmm. thing and it's great to hear the story of how that happens as you think you're also too I, as you talked in the names and just your own history with the track when you you've you've been here as a kid you've watched you've managed now you're in the process of buying you really kind of are a steward of history uh, in so many ways right you're own you're a steward mm-hmm. of a piece of history and you're right. going to own it and manage it for a period of time, and then there'll be a time where you'll pass it on. And this kind of thing is the thing that will be here after we're gone because it's been here for quite a while. That's the goal. Right. As long as uh, it's allowed. As long as it's allowed. <laughs> right. It, 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 it's really challenging right now. There's there's stuff at the federal level that's trying to stop um, aftermarket automobiles to be made into race cars. So tell me about that. I don't so, know a lot about it. Okay. Okay. But there, I could, I could send you the information mm-hmm. because it's SEMA um, pushes that quite a bit. They talk about it quite a bit. Okay. And uh, a lot of it's aftermarket, so you kind of can skirt around it, and the okay. bill isn't all the way through, but it it pops up. I wanted to ask. So the, when you hear about legislation that's meant to make it basically harder to race certain kinds of cars, is that like? Where, where's, where's that even coming from? Is that about the danger aspect? Is EPA that... driven. Oh, okay. And uh, another government entity that I believe was really meant well in the beginning, mm-hmm. but it's outgrown itself. And do we need the EPA? I think we do. I really do because there's certain things that happen that shouldn't mm-hmm. happen but um, in the environment. But sure. at the end of the day, you can't destroy your economy and push your agenda, which is what's happening too and often. Is it literally about like fuel usage? Is that what this is about, or um, it's about part of it's about the fossil fuel usage, and okay. part of it is about um, the turning that equipment into an off-road use type, mm. where where there is no emissions. Out. I see. 
I see. Because they're these race cars run blooded fuel. Okay. And it's off road, so it's not it fits in that loophole. Right. Um, things like that. And that that is changing. NASCAR runs fuel injected. Okay. Um, all the all their cars, all the cars at top level are fuel injected and they run ethanol and ethanol blend. Okay. Some cars here are starting to do that. Um, but that's just a whole nother um, headache of do we need to go there? Right. You know, how long before electric cars? You know, that it's coming. We all know that. I'm not against electric cars at all. But I think that um, the way this country's built and and the entrepreneurs that we have and the smart people at all over the country, someone's going to develop a clean, renewable fuel, whether it's a battery mm-hmm. or whether it, whatever it is, and they're going to become very wealthy doing it mm-hmm. um, in this, at the same time. But don't let the fossil fuel, don't push that out the door just yet. Let the economy keep going while someone's developing this other product that will make the, you know, be clean. And you're, you're talking about the natural process of innovation, and, and that's the thing when I speak to, to audiences all across our state, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I talk about is that we're all about finding, like, the next generation of technology uh, that really does have the power uh, or the ability to power the world. That's great, but we're not there yet. No. We're, there's, we're, not, we're not only not, not even, there, we're not even close. Not even close. You can look at, and I know there was a big, you know, panicked attempt on the part of uh, mainstream media to pretend that what happened in Texas recently this past winter was not the result of alternative uh, energy streams being forced into right. the Texas grid, but it was. It abs- absolutely was, and in part because government mandates have forced certain non-sustainable alternative uh, energy sources into that grid, they've made it hard to maintain the, the natural gas pipelines. Right. It's been difficult to do, and frankly, that puts the whole grid at greater risk. And what you're talking about, too, especially with vehicles, is great, like, let the market work this out, right? right. Some people are going to want to buy an electric car today, even if the technology isn't quite there or it's not what the rest of us would want. But that competition will force those vehicles to become better over time. And then I would remind everybody, no matter what you're driving, um, it's burning fossil fuels because at the end of Somehow, the day, somewhere. those Teslas are hooking up to electrical grids that are burning natural gas or coal. We don't talk about the carbon footprint anymore. Uh, well, <laughs> that's for some fun. reason. Yeah. So I think we have to remind people, and and I, whether it's Governor Evers or Elizabeth Warren, who have said we need to decarbonize the economy by a date they choose, which neither of those people have any clue what they're talking about. The idea is put put resources into actual research, innovation. Like we have national labs that do this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Let it grow over time organically. Let the market bear out solutions. Where we get in trouble is what you're talking about, where bureaucrats and politicians say they like this given technology. They're going to force it into the market. They're going to subsidize it. And all of a sudden, they create imbalances that the rest of us have to struggle with that don't make any sense. No. And, it can, and it drills down into a real sense. Why I love the story is it comes all the way down to the local racetrack. Right. And all of a sudden, you're, you're wondering, are we going to be able to race the cars that we can race? Because the technology is not there for the alternative at this point. No, it's not. Right. Tesla makes a cool car. One of the most conservative people that I know owns a Tesla. He's like, Todd, you got to drive this thing. <laughs> and it was, it, it's really cool. But it's just not practical yet for everybody. Right. It just isn't. Right. And, and um, 
we'll see. We'll see how things go. I just, it's scary right now. I, yeah. I, I, I used to say that 10 years ago, but it really is now. It, right. The direction that things are going, it's um, it, too fast. Well, in 2000, missing common sense. And, and that, again, is why we're sharing stories like yours, which, right. again, regrounding people and like, oh, yeah, that is the way the world really works. Mm-hmm. And we really do need to be fighting for common sense. And, you know, we're not going to, I think we as conservatives absolutely cannot give up. You have to march forward one step in front of the other. Part of the big media, big tech messaging machine is to say, give up, you've lost. And yet behind their messaging and their self assurance is a lot of lack of confidence because they don't have the ideas. If you are, you, you brought up the idea of deplatforming before and like how you get censored. Look, if you're that afraid of what other people are saying, you know there's not much there on in, in terms of your own intellectual ideas. And I think that's the biggest part of what I've ever seen from the left. If you're, or even those of us on the right that do this, right, that stare at something and we're too afraid to mention it or talk about it, um, that probably means you lack self-confidence in your own beliefs. Well, didn't the left advocate for 30 years free speech? <laughs> Last yeah. I checked. On college, uh, oh, oh, yeah, on college was, campuses? Yes, dissent, and that what they protested yeah, for. Honor dissent, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now, it's, it's, it's just quite amazing. It, it really is. I, I say that too often. It's just, it is really amazing that how things have changed and how we're supposed to just accept it. Well, here today we have literally in broad daylight perfectly viable news stories being wiped clean from mm-hmm. digital platforms because the digital platform is afraid it will hurt their preferred political candidate. Like, uh, I'm sorry, like your retrospective analysis of like the fact that communists had a hard time in the 30s uh, doesn't really stack up no. against an attempt to basically subvert public discourse, which is happening today. And I call it state-run media it, it, because it, I, I don't yeah. know how much different... China is than how our media is these days. Just different people pulling the levers, right? Yeah. And that's it. And then ironically, you take a step back from what makes it really crazy at the same time that the big tech is uh, censoring um, news here. They are working hand in glove with governments like China in order to allow those governments to censor news in their own right. populations just to get a piece mm-hmm. of the market and the action. And it really is insidious and hypocritical. Um and, and to your point, light at the end of the tar- tunnel, we should not lose hope on any of this. We have to strive and push through because, you know, the powers that be have tried stuff like this in, in the past. It always ends up falling down on their head. And it's just a matter of when and how that happens. And us keeping the faith will actually bring it through. So. At what cost? That's the problem. Oh, I'm not. It, it's it, I, That's the problem. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to get there. We just have to keep fighting and keep telling the truth, which, again, is why we're having conversations like this today. I, mean, I appreciate it because we, we talk about it a lot, my wife and I, and how mm-hmm. do you get the word out? And she was just at a function two days ago with, uh, I think it was O'Donnell's. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just hard. And, and the networking is good, but when you don't have that platform to really debate where, where people can hear it, mm-hmm. it makes it hard. Which even, is why even, we share this. <laughs> but even but even our own... Oh, I, I agree. Yeah, it's, right. <laughs> one of my cliches, I'm full of them, it's never been easier to reach people, mm-hmm. but it's never been harder. Uh, yes. To get, the, to get the word in front of somebody is one thing. It fl- flashes on your phone, but... We used resonate. to have the newspaper, mm-hmm. the radio, and the TV. Right. And now you've got literally tens of 
thousands of different right. ways of getting to the per- well there's only a limited amount but there's within that limited amount there's so many different there's such a feed of constant right. information no there's there's no way no two ways about yeah. that what makes you excited about the future of Slinger Speedway well it's maybe it's a selfish thing mm-hmm. is owning the property and making the improvements around here to take it to that next level for the next 10 to 20 years. Um, not a complete uh, change of anything, but just a, a facelift. Right. There's a few wrinkles around here that need some <laughs> Botox. <laughs> it looks, for all our listeners, it looks good and it looks ready to go. The flags are waving in the wind. Right. Uh, but I get your point. You want to be constantly improving. You want to be always looking to the future. Yeah, that that's, it's exciting to be... I've been running the ship for a long time, mm-hmm. but to run the ship and control it, owning it, is a, is a whole different level. It's a different feeling, right? Right. And, right. Uh, and personally, to plan the next 10 to 20 years of my own life. Right. Um, it makes it that much easier to, I mean, there's so many unknowns, as we've found sure. out. Sure. Never thought this would happen. Well, yeah, right. now I, I won't say that anymore. Right. <laughs> um, but that that's I'm really excited for the future of being able to take this to the next level and and keep it moving forward and creating awesome. more history. Right. First race is April 25th. April Sunday 25th. afternoon. Sunday two, afternoon. Two o'clock. Okay. And then thereafter, throughout the summer, is Sunday afternoon the normal race we, day. We are in afternoons. Other than Mother's Day, we're off. Okay. Um, afternoons through Memorial Day, and Memorial Day we kick off evening racing. Okay. And that's a Sunday night. And it's typically a big night around here because Monday there's no work, and, and we, we do pretty well on those nights. Um, but I like to say extend your weekend at Slinger Speedway. Yeah. Right. Sunday nights, everybody <laughs> sits home, i got to go to work tomorrow. Or i got to go to my basement computer yeah. tomorrow or whatever, right, right. You know, whatever work yeah. is these days. But um, yeah. we're done here. Our goal, we start at 6.30 when evening racing starts, and our goal is to be done by 9.30. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you live a half hour away or 45 minutes away, yeah, you're home at 10, 10, 15, right. whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Um, we promote um, affordable family entertainment. Yep. Um, $15 for an adult. Uh, students are $9. Senior citizens are $9. Kids uh, 6 to 11 are $3 and 5 and under is free. Okay. Where can you go for that right. kind of money and have three hours of entertainment? Right. And... It's a um, different type of entertainment, and and it's right in front of you, and it's fast and furious and exciting. Right. Well, Todd, thanks for having us. We appreciate mm-hmm. it. I encourage everyone to come out and Slinger Speedway on Sundays uh, throughout the summer. Mm-hmm. And thanks for having us, and best of luck going forward. We look forward to coming back. I very, I appreciate having you on, having me on, and um, giving me a chance to speak too with you know, some of my opinions and what I've dealt with and. And uh, not just with the racetrack. A lot of personal things that I think your audience um, probably has dealt with yeah. one way or the other. So. No, I think, it, I think it's a great story, and you're absolutely right. These are mm-hmm. things that everybody's struggling with in different ways, no doubt. Right. But it's important for, I think, our whole audience to, to hear how you get through this and how you move forward and the importance of doing that. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thank you for joining us today on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, Luminary, 
or wherever you listen to podcasts.